Welcome to Hope Through the Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. I'm Steve Norman with Winning at Home. Welcome to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. I'm excited to have Dan Seaborn as my guest today. Dan is the founder and president of Winning at Home. He's the author of 12 books. He's a regular voice on over 350 radio stations. He and his wife, Jane, have been married for over 30 years and have four adult children. Almost 40 years. Dang, man. A, a couple more. What is right now? This is November, right? <laughs> this is August, <laughs> August. August. So we get, yeah, come in June, we'll be 40 years. That's amazing. Congra- that's a great run. Yeah. Not everybody gets that I gotta anymore. got to throw that in there. <laughs> all right. It's a big deal. And, all right. And then how many grandchildren? My notes say six. Six. Okay. Six so you didn't right throw now. any extra but in as far on there as for I know, me. Six. <laughs> all right. So, Dan, tell me a little bit about your story time. How'd you get to where you are now? First of all, let me just say uh, it's nice to have you here leading this. Normally, I have to do these things. (laughs) It's great to sit on the other end of the mic and let somebody else sweat the questions. So, it's my pleasure. uh, Thanks for being a part of the team, Steve. Yeah, I think for me, I was actually talking with a counselor this weekend about this, how much we are shaped by our childhood. Hmm. You know, I grew up in a very legalistic, conservative, I'm, I'm talking conservative like my mother wasn't allowed to shave her legs conservative because the Bible says women can't shave their hair. So, you know, hair on the legs was included in that. So growing up in that type of environment, and when you're a child, that's all you know. Sure. And so for me, following Christ became about legalism. Hmm. Uh, I was trained to be a Pharisee and a Sadducee, and I have had to process and grow through Many, many years. I would actually tell you today is a day where the Lord is laying some things on my heart that I'm, I'm in a little bit of a somber mood as I come to record with you because I see the next level of completion that he's wanting to do in me. And it means surrender. It means understanding him fully. It means knowing that today I'm his child and I can't change that. I'm just his and I'm good. And as a child, so it's come full circle for me. Love my parents. Mom was an awesome mom, taught me about Jesus, etc. So I, I have no hard feelings. It's nothing to do with that. But many of the things I've taught really weren't biblical. They didn't align with what God wanted for me. And to come full circle and to see that the legalistic faith that I grew up with actually was a trap for me. And I've come to a full appreciation of why my parents did that, but I also want to teach and want to make sure my years that I spend sharing whatever God wants to do with the rest of my life involves every person, those of you listening right now, knowing you are good because you are God's kid, period. Not because of some performance, not because of this, not because of that, not because of what you're about to change. God loves you because he loves you. You can't stop that love. That's the message I want the world to hear. Now, Figuring out what that looks like and what that means is obviously a process. But for me, my childhood shaped me understanding how important people understanding God's love for them is and that it's unconditional. And I think I lived a lot of my life with a conditional loving God, and I'm changing that. So, Dan, was there was there a tipping point or a turning moment that allowed you to shift that perspective away from kind of that rules-based, performance-oriented spirituality that kind of cracked you open to God's love? Or was it like a slow burn? I, If I looked back at my life and said there was a moment that it happened, 
that I would say I saw it turn. Because obviously it's a process. It, it definitely is a slow burn. But there was a moment that I saw how trapped I had been in the legalism and the thought that I need to check certain boxes before God would love me as we were driving. Uh, so, so my oldest son is Alan. He's 36. He would have probably been six or seven. And we were very close on family vacation to my parents' house, driven 12 hours in a van. And we were about to be at the house. I pulled the car over on the side of the road to take off my shorts that I was wearing that I always wore with my family to put on a pair of long pants because my father required wearing long pants. Shorts meant you were going to hell. Long pants meant you had a shot at heaven. So I pulled the car on the side of the road to take off my short pants to put on my long pants so I would please my father. Mm. And my son, Alan, six or seven, said, Dad, why are you doing that? Why do you always do that? I've seen you do that as a kid. You know, why do you do that? And I said to him, well, my, my dad, blah, 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 you know, doesn't believe so. I just put on long pants. He said, so you're kind of fake. At six. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of fake. And I remember going, holy crap, I'm teaching my own children legalism by doing this. And I remember pulling the long pants off, putting the short pants on, and driving up like that, fearing what would happen, but going, I'm going to break this. And that, if I had to look at a moment where it began, it was when my kid called me out for it, and I realized all I'm teaching him is, fakeness and that it's legalistic and of course you know you say well what about honoring your parents we can have that conversation that's podcast number thousand but for today i would just say that was a moment where i realized i'm conditionally uh, teaching my own children about god's love by saying that i need to change this or do this just to please my father i want to honor him etc and that was the day that I would say some of those changes begin to occur inside me. And, and you know what? The trip went pretty good. <laughs> yeah, how did your dad respond dad, when he got uh, out of the car? He stared at my legs for a while. And then I said, this is me, Pops. This is the way it's going to be. And he accepted it in time. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. What is it about legalism that feels um, so appealing to some of us? When I zoom out, I'm like, wow, it's it's not the gospel. It's not helpful. It divides people. It puts burdens of guilt and shame. And yet the reason that so many of us get pulled to it is because it seems like it gives us a measure of order and control in a chaotic and uncontrollable world. Yeah, my favorite preacher, uh, I call him the sermonator, Chuck Swindoll. Uh, sure. I was listening to him this weekend, and he said that. He said the reason we like legalism, the reason we like rules is it gives us the ability to give people hard and fast answers. And so they ask us, well, what about, can a person get divorced if they go through this and this and this? And he said, a legalist goes, yep, let me say, okay, yep, check the, yes, you can. And he said, there's something about us that it gives us security. It gives us the ability to feel like we can give a solid, true answer. And he, it's interesting, he's 80-something, and he's like, the more I live, the more I realize there aren't many hard, true, and fast answers. And so uh, legalism provides that. And we have to break through those barriers to understand some of the true spirit, I think, of what Jesus desires of us. And Scripture, because it's letters on a bo- in a book and it's, it's law, um, 
it's a lot easier to follow because we are people who generally like to be led, and we like to be led with order. Dan, I think a reminder of that passage in John 8 where Jesus has an opportunity to engage a woman who's been caught in adultery, and the text says that the Pharisees are all kind of standing out in a circle waiting for a harsh or judgmental word from Jesus, and it says that Jesus you know, gets down in the dust and starts writing. And then it says that the older people walked away first. Mm-hmm. What What is it about reaching a certain point in our mm-hmm. emotional, spiritual maturity that allows us to say, you know what? I don't know that I have all this wrestled down the way that I thought that I did that, that we're able to get away with when we're in our 20s and 30s. Yeah, I think because uh, for me, I can speak for me for sure in this area because I'm not – uh, I draw my hard and fast lines on one or two things. You yeah. need to believe Jesus is uh, the Savior of the world and that he died for your sin. That is a hard and fast line for me. Sure. But after that, mm, it, it gets pretty loose. And I couldn't have done that when I was earlier because I wasn't confident and sure in my own beliefs of why I stood at those places. And mm-hmm. for me, I've reached a place where... Again, I'm going to quote Chuck Swindoll. He, you, you may not have heard this message recently, but he talked about some changes he's making in his view of marriage, and I'm with him. I totally am with him. In fact, I, I found myself quoting him, and he said to the audience in the message, he said, uh, it's taken me 80 years to get to this place. I will stay after church, and I will listen to every one of you. I'll be the last one to leave. Come up to me afterwards. Talk to me about why you disagree with him, et cetera. He said, but I want to go ahead and tell you before you get in the line, you won't be changing my mind. Hmm. And that's where I'm at today. There are some things, for example, here at Winning at Home, we're going to build some bridges to some communities. And when you build bridges, I've, I've said this line to you, Steve, people on both sides of the bridge will fight at you sure. to tell you why you need to come on their side or the other side, and they want to burn your bridge down. But I've decided I'm going to be one who builds bridges to lost people just like Jesus did in that story you referred to. Uh, he got criticized for it. They walked away. The older people walked away because they realized he's probably right. <laughs> I think that for most of us, um, there's fear in it. And when we're younger, we go with the letter of the law because it eliminates some of the fear. Mm. And as you get older and wiser, and I've been around some really hard marriages to speak of the marriage issue. I've had some people walk in my office to if they stayed together, I, I think one of them could lose their life, like like homicide, like I think something could happen. And I go, well, then I think as a pastor, I'm also accountable to say to someone, I'm not sure you need to be in this environment right now. I think I need to encourage you to separate, you know, things that people, you don't encourage people to do that. If, if I think I could save someone's life, I think I need to, and, and life experience Doing this for 60 you know, years, um, I'm 60 years old, doing this for 60 years, it's a lot different. Life was a lot more clean and easy at 20. No, when you have this kind of stuff, this is just what you do. And having lived through a few of those, having lived through a wayward daughter, having almost lost her life, I've got a different perspective on that. And I believe that's why as you age, if you're seeking God the whole time, if you're diving into his word and seeking to be deeper all the time, then I believe he gives you some insight and some thoughts that only come from maturity in age and maturity in him. And it's a dual path that you have to be walking. That's a great insight, Dan. Hmm. I think there's a school of thought in in kind of Christian or church-based parenting that says, if you get your kids to Sunday school 
and you can get the perfect attendance award for church, and we find a good youth group, and we check all the right boxes, then every child will turn out exactly the way that we thought that they should. Life doesn't always turn out that way. If that's true, then why are so many millennials walking away from the faith? Because we check those boxes. Yeah. And I think it's that. I honestly think it's because we didn't teach them that their true identity is found in the fact that God flat out loves them because he loves them. So we got caught up in checking the boxes. And the biggest box we missed was that God loves you. And today, you know, as a father, um, probably one of the greatest things I've learned is I, I told one of my children this the other day. You can't get to a place where your daddy doesn't love you. I don't, I don't care what you do. You can't get to a place. I'm talking to me. I will always love you. And I remember watching tears come out of their eyes because that's what we long for. That's what I long for today. I, I can't get to a place that God doesn't say, I love you. That, that right there settles a lot of issues in my life because we're all looking for security. We're all looking for something. And, you know, as preachers, me and you, um, we find that in the audience. We find that in, oh, they call me back. They want me to speak there again next week. We, whether we admit it or not, we find our security in those things. Sure. And it's when we don't find our security in that and we find our security in just believing and knowing how much he loves us that, that we grow. And then our children, I believe one of the greatest things we can do for our kids is let them see that in us, a consistency, a faithfulness, um, that we want to follow him just because he cares about us. Our kids will pick up on that, and I hope it will be a model that they will see in our lives. And what do you say to parents who are where you may have been before, where you had a child who was making choices that you felt was pulling them away from you, felt was pulling them away from the faith, and it's just wildly disorienting. And especially when kids are adults, you don't have any leverage over them anymore. What do you What do you do when you're in that just spiral of of fear and just helplessness? Yeah, I, I have a pastor friend right now whose child is actually doing that and shoving it in his face, like like mocking him, and even literally said to him, if you'll walk away from the faith, I'll come back. As a father, I have been in spots where I, I appreciate you, I appreciate people around me, except there were no words any human could say to me that would have given me peace or hope in those moments. Like, I thought I was losing my little girl. I, I thought she was going to die. I mean... I couldn't even look at some of the pictures that were being texted to my wife because as a father, I never dreamed I'd see my child in this space and in this condition, in this spot. It is such a helpless feeling. And yet it was in that moment that everything I've ever believed or say I believe in had to kick in. And I had to uh, trust God when I could not see the outcome. And there definitely are parents listening today who are in that spot. And your child has not only walked away from you, they've walked away from their faith. They don't want to hear anything about faith. And they're living in a world that almost encourages it and promotes that and says, you're actually the one with all the wisdom. Well, they know they're not. We know they're not. But as a parent, I think it's holding true to what we know is true. Sometimes you have to go with that. Sometimes you have to find your peace in that thought. And today I want to, for some parent who's listening, I love you. The best thing I can say to you today is, I love you. I'm sorry that you're going through this, but it is your opportunity to go to another level of depth in Jesus that you might not choose to go to, but that he has for you. 
And that's what happened for me. I went to another level of depth. I don't carry anxiety like I used to for my children. I don't worry about them as much as I used to. And I watch a lot of people my age, because I'm 60 now, I watch a lot of people my age, they quit living their life because they're so worried about their kids. They quit living their life because they're consumed with trying to fix their kids or, oh, they're going down the wrong path. Maybe. But I still have my life to live, and I need to use it fully for his purposes. And that's what I would say to parents today who are in that spot. What opportunity is arising from this that has the potential for you to give glory and praise to the name of God? And am I seizing that opportunity, or am I allowing this discomfort and this pain to destroy me? And uh, recently when I spoke, I I asked uh, everybody in the audience, if you know someone who quit living their life because of their children, raise your hand. There a lot of hands went up. Don't be that mom or that dad. Uh, Live fully into your life. And, you know, Steve, you have young children, and I have young grandchildren now. And I look back to the days that I had those younger children, and I thought how, um, how challenging that stage was, and it is, it is. But I believe the maturity of a parent, even in that stage that you're in right now, and understanding how to walk alongside them, how to let them fail, pick them up, let them dust themselves off, grow again, just preps you for what it means to be the parent of adult children and grandchildren because that, that portfolio of pictures on my mantle is growing. Sure. Started with four. Now it's up to a bundle I don't even know the number in my head, if that helps any. But there's a lot of pictures across that shelf. In my bedroom, I have them across one of our dressers. There's the whole portfolio of the Seaborn family. I have a choice to either spend the rest of my life worrying about that or seeing it as, God, this is a blessing. There's going to be some ups and downs. I pray all these kids would grow up to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Get them however you need to get them, dangerous prayer. Get them to you. And let us as a family make a mark for you. And that's where I think parents and families need to go, is quit trying to control it all and just trust the Lord with the outcome, believing he has a bigger picture in mind. Dan, in your experience, either in your own family or watching other families, where does that burn to have to control it? What, what's driving that? I think sometimes what I've been able to observe, even in my own life, is sometimes I need my kids to do well because I want to look good. For sure. <laughs> in the church, in the community, in front of perfect strangers. No question. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. No question. Uh, no question that it is the, um, the dream of every parent that when our family walks out into the avenue, everybody goes, wow. And I'll just tell you, I don't believe that family exists. Uh, I believe if you went over the one that looks perfect, if you spent the night with them, you might go, wow, (laughs) you know, a whole different wow. Now, are there some families that appear to have uh, an easier path? Yes. Yes. Mm. Um, I've always, earlier in my ministry, I would have said, well, that's because those parents must have done a better job. Uh, having been through some crap myself, and not to use it as justification, I believe it's there are some depths that the Lord wants us to go through in order to speak more um, profoundly and beautifully and with wisdom for His glory. I sit here today, uh, the parent of a, a wise, by God's grace, she's back home, a wayward child. I would never have chosen that path, but there is no question 
that you are hearing words out of my mouth today that you had not heard at 30, and they are hopefully bringing more glory to the Lord and more praise to his name. And I think back to when I was 30, at least half of my ministry buddies are gone, at least half. All my buddies, you know, get together in a room, 30 of us, 15 of them are gone. They don't serve the Lord anymore. They're doing whatever. Um, that makes me really sad. And I think that today I sit here, I want to finish well, I want to honor the Lord, I want him to teach me through whatever, he, whatever I go through. And life's not about me. My children's journey's not about me, but I'm involved in it. Sure. And you know, I think a lot of parents, by the way, when you speak to that, a lot of parents, the reason they get that way is because they think it's about them. Their kid's life, grandkid's life, it centers around them. I know plenty of grandparents and parents who, well, we need to do this. and this. We need all on vacation. We all, all need to go on vacation. They're fulfilling some of their dream. Their right. kids might be like, I don't know, I can't do that right now. I'm not at that place. You know, I, I really work hard with my children and say to them, I'd like to do a big old family vacation. It's just not working out for everybody right now, so I'm not going to force feed it down your throat right. to make me happy so I can tell all my friends, yeah, I went on a big family vacation. I don't need to. Right, I'm right. comfortable saying this is what we do. But, you know, you ask the question, why do families do that? Yes, they're trying to fulfill a Western culture image that is real and alive and I believe the more we go, wait a second, this is where I land. My, my Lord and Savior has given me peace in my heart that my children are going to know him and know heaven as their final home. I have that peace in my heart. Mm. So I've said to him, well, whatever the journey looks like, I'm good with it. Because it's the process and the destination that matter. That's it. If in the end my children are in heaven and know that is their final home. That's way better than a family portrait that hangs on my mantle. Yeah. So we'll get there. Uh, I don't like the process sometimes, but I'm trusting the Lord with that. Dan, even even last week, I found myself arguing with one of my children about a, a worldview differential mm -hmm. that we were having, and and I found myself saying, "Wow, if I'm not careful, I can win this argument and lose sure. the relationship for sure." What, what do you do to parents who are like, oh, my kids are believing the wrong things? How, how do we make sure that we can, we can state our case but not spend too much time in that weeds and, and, and elevate and defend the relationship so that, a, so that the door is open for another conversation to happen two months, two years, two decades down the road? Uh, what you just said was the way I do it. Even to this day, this is the way I do it. If, if my children want to get into those type of conversations— um, I will start, or at least somewhere in the beginning, say this phrase to him. Well, let's understand this first of all. We might really disagree here, but do you know how much your dad loves you? Hmm. Like I start there. So you just set that foundation. Set you frame the whole conversation right. around mm -hmm. through that lens. And I actually finish it with that. That's so great. I'll finish by saying, hey, we disagree here, but let's just pray a second because Pops loves you. I yeah. love you. Even if we fully disagree, you are loved. And that, I think it gives my children peace. I don't know that. I'm not them. But I never had that. You know, if you disagreed with Dad, you were just probably going to hell. Right. And so, you know, I grew up. It just created anxiety and fear in me. And the other thing you do, which is what you're doing there, too, is you breed your family and your children coming to you for those conversations. But I also would say to you, I don't think, it, I, I don't think we need to feel like we need to have every one of those conversations with our children. Right. So, and and in, in your family relationship, it, um. Some of you are really good at those conversations with your kids, and some of you aren't. 
<laughs> right. So a lot of times the people who aren't think they are, or they go, yeah. oh, I'm going to prove my point, like you just said. Yeah, it goes back to, you know, win the battle, lose the war. Uh, obviously, you don't want to do that. Long term, you're trying to keep a relationship with your child. I would go ahead and tell you, you're going to have some areas in this culture, in this environment, if you don't have a couple of disagreements, that's kind of weird. You guys might want to look. You might be building a cult. So <laughs> so you're going to disagree at times. You're, I don't agree with my boys on a lot of things, my girls either. Sure. But we can have reasonable conversations where we at least see each other's point of view, have a prayer, and be done with it. Yeah. And then I'll say to them sometimes, hey, we're going to have a family night tonight. No conversations about potentially <laughs> frustrating things. Gotcha. And just enjoy each other. Because if we stop and step back, there's way more things I love about the people in my family that I disagree with. And it might be there's someone in your family right now you can't say that about. But uh, as believers especially, we're called to a new level of love that is love and grace-filled instead of judgmental-filled. And... Um, I, I just think as as parents, it's our responsibility to be the adult in the room. That's been my line lately. Who's the adult in the room? Well, don't expect that to be a 13-year-old because they're not an adult. And they're being bombarded with beliefs and ideas and thoughts all day long that's very confusing for them. Well, if they can't go to you and be confident you're not going to get mad at them about discussing it, then they're going to go to somebody else. So create an environment where your kids can talk to you and disagree with you. It's really important to give them permission to disagree and know they're still loved. That's so good. Dan, I remember when I was in college, I heard a, our university president who had written some books on parenting say, he goes, never judge your performance as a parent until your youngest child turns 30. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> He's got the long view where in reality I had always been, as a kid, I was under the mindset yeah. that like I have parents until I turn 18 and then I don't. But that's... No, it's really true. And I've used that same line. I didn't know that I, I use that line all the time. And and then the other day my wife said to me, We might need to change that to fifty. You know, so, <laughs> because the reality is um, We're gonna go into overtime yeah, on that's this right, one. Overtime. But not necessarily for us because she said when you say that line sometimes uh, and you're preaching, because I'll use that line. She sure. says, what about that parent who their kid's 35, right, right. still making real? I said, good point, you know, because yeah. you want to be sensitive to that. The point, is, the, the point is there that be very careful in those younger years, uh, things that look so traumatic and so huge at 13, 12, 15, um, they're going to pass. Yeah. They won't, you're in a season. That is a season. And you have children. I remember asking my daughter who was wayward. I said to her, why did you, like when she's come back, and we can sit and talk about it now, she, she sure. doesn't like to talk about it a lot because she has a lot of guilt. Yeah. And I'm trying to help her let that guilt go because I love her. It's all good. But right. she'll, she'll say to me, what was wrong with me? Why, why did I think that? And I said to her, yeah, you, there's Satan obviously is involved. Your frontal lobe's not developed. There's a whole lot of factors here, babe. Sure. And you've got people filling your mind with what they're telling you. The truth is this. Truth is this. You're confused. You don't know. And then I said to her, but why do you think you did all that stuff? And she said, I don't know. Everything inside me just wants to make sure all those pe those rules and those things people say are true. I want to test them out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's, you, you might have a tester child. You know, others of you have a child that just loves to fall in line. Well, yeah. bless you, okay? Yeah, yeah. Because in my home, I had one who didn't. And so it's just part of it. Right, right. It's, it's just so good to be reminded that 
that it's not our job as parents to have answers and then spoon feed answers. Obviously, we give direction and we, and we hardwire values, sure, sure. but we don't stop growing. No. I, I mean, unless we choose to stop growing, sure. and that is a choice some people make. Absolutely. But as long as we're saying, like, Lord, if there, if there's in, – in whatever season that I'm in, I want to learn. And one of the books on parenting that I really appreciate was even called Growing With that says mm. as your children become adults, mm. you're growing with them spiritually yes, rather than saying, like, okay, I'm the authority and you're the pupil. No, I think one of the greatest compliments that you can have from your children, even as they reach adulthood, is them saying to you, man, I appreciate that you never stop growing. Yeah. that And to me – it just means you're getting wiser. You're getting you, – you, actually, I don't say near as much as I used to. My children will even sometimes in our home – I've changed a lot. I just don't say as much as I used to in, in situations, et cetera. Something will happen, and they'll all kind of turn and look at me and be like, I'll be like, what? They're like, well, this is where you used to say something. I'm like, no, not anymore. Yeah. I don't, I don't even need to, do I? And they'll go, no, you don't. Yeah. They know. They know. Yeah. And it's in maturity of learning that – the example I said, even sometimes by not speaking, is far greater than anything that would come out of my yeah. mouth. Yeah. And and also just not like I was a dad who when I was younger I'd lose it. I just lose it. Sure. You know, yelling that kind of thing. They'll even say to me, "You just you don't yell anymore." I'm like, "No, it, it was pointless. I'm sorry I did it when you were a kid." You yeah. know. And yeah. I think it is that maturity, that growing. And, and then what else? If I can get to this stage and mature to this level, what good thing has God got coming for me? And if he gives me 20 more years, what next level of maturity am I going to be able to hit? Because if I was still yelling at 60 and I didn't learn anything from being 30 and that's where I'm at, then, man, I only got 20 years to try to get to the non-yelling stage. Right, well, right. Hopefully non-yelling is going to now take me to deeper listening skills, ability to watch something happening in my own family in a room and, and decipher it. My brother's father-in-law, his name is Mr. Nally. He was a pastor many years. I, as I look back at his life, you know, I would have met him when probably the first time I met him, I was probably 12. I think, other than hearing him preach sermons, I think I heard him say probably 10 words my whole life. Mm. He's never spoke. And when he did speak, everybody would go, shh, you know, because it's like. going to matter. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> sadly for me, <laughs> people were like, could you, could you not speak for a little bit? We've heard enough out of you. And when he did speak, it was worth listening to. It was just wise. And I, I remember one time sitting with him and I was watching a, and something happened. And he would just, he would look and he would stare at the situation. And I'd say to him, Mr. Nally, you going to say anything? Reverend Nally going to say anything? Shake his head. Hmm. You don't need to. They'll figure it out. That would be his line. They'll figure it out. Because he said he could see that when you're in a in a situation where you're aware of what needs to happen and you always speak into like you say you need to with kids sometimes for sure. But in in most situations, they already know what you think. You could just give them a look. Yeah, they know. My mom was really good at that. She could look at me, didn't even say a word. I, go, I got it, mom. I got it. You sure, know? sure. And so I think there's wisdom that comes with knowing when to speak. Danny talked about just when you're in a younger season, losing it with your kids. And I had one of these moments to to my own embarrassment last week. And I and I, one of the things God is teaching me is saying like, Hey, what's behind that? And and I was able to kind of discern like, Oh, I'm yelling because I don't feel like I'm in control. Yeah. And God's like, well, you're not in control anyway. <laughs> and you yelling doesn't get anybody the results that you want. And I think one of the lessons I keep having to learn the hard way, Dan, is that you can get short-term results out of shame and intimidation. You sure can. But the long-term fruit, like the harvest of that, is always resentment. Terrible. 
And so for me to be able to say like, oh, I get to choose how I want to lead in this moment. And it could be, I need to take a five minute walk to be able to say like, well, this kid doesn't want to show up for extra training. If he doesn't show up for extra training, he's not going to start. He said he wanted to start. If he doesn't start, he can't play college. He can't play college, can't play NFL. And I just like run it, roll it all back and say, you know what? He's 12 years old. If he wants to compete at a high level, he can show up for training. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. He gets to make that choice. Well, my son, well, first of all, I want to commend you on something because you said a little something in your sentence there that might have gone past people's ears and they need to hear it. You said, I took a moment and reflected on why I was doing it. Yeah. See, most parents don't do that. Most parents go, well, I did it because I'm the parent, right? <laughs> I did it because I'm in charge. Well, yeah, you're not. You right. Know, you, you might think you are, but you ultimately, long term, God's in charge of your child and you need to remember that. So do the best guiding you can. But I remember the same. Steve, I go back and it was my son, Josh. And it was basketball. And, and I remember we were doing something, et cetera, and, and I was pushing really hard. Really, yeah, yeah. I was his coach. And he turned to me and he said, Dad, are you sure you're not trying to relive your childhood through me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, yes, I am. That's a good call. You know, of course, at the time, what are you talking about? I, I'm caught and well, I see, I was My father, uh, as I said, it was very legalistic. We were not allowed to play sports. Wow. So that was sinful. Anything sport was of Satan. So of course me when I got my kids I'm gonna I want you guys making up for 15. lost time yes that's making up lost time sure be aware of that like you said step back look at why am I doing this what's the purpose here because when we allow our children to be fully who God made them of course push them give them guidance you know set goals for them of course but be careful they're not your goals yeah. because because the reality is um, especially those of you who I, I say this a lot when I'm speaking to executives. I say to them, be very careful that you don't force your child to be executive. God did not give that gift to everyone. Right. And knowing your child's limitations and gifts and abilities is very, very important. Dan, you've invested decades into building Winning at Home, which has been a great gift to me and a great gift to others. What What is your hope that Winning at Home could offer families that are maybe – feeling like they're on the brink of despair, whether it's something in their marriage or something in their parenting that feels like it's unraveling quickly and they just they just can't. It's like water running through their fingers. They they can't stop it. They can't control it. And they feel like they're drowning. Well, I think the key word you said is giving them a little bit of hope. You know, if you see one of our counselors, one of our coaches, the word I usually get from people who have done that is it just it just helped me. It helped me across a little bit of a, a, a divide I was facing in my own life. I could step over that. And and I believe that if we can teach that foundation in Jesus that we talked about earlier, if we can model that, if we can show people their solidity and their faith in the Lord is first and utmost important, and then give them some practical guidance. You know, I, you may know the reason we ended up having counseling and coaching here at Winning at Home was because I spoke at a church, and it was at that point Winning at Home was just me. I traveled and speak. That was it. Sure. And then this guy came up to me and said, "Man, your teaching is so flawed." It's so messed up. And I was like, what the world? You know, who are you? And he's like, well, I, and I said, why do you feel that way? He said, because you're very motivating. You, people want to take a step, but then they don't know how. So he said, can I come behind you and start counseling the people who would like to take next steps? And that's how we started the counseling division, Winning Home, Dr. Peter Newhouse. And he's one of my dear friends now. And, and I would say to people today, if we've done something to encourage you, to lift you up, et cetera, please come and take advantage of us in this area of coaching and counseling because we are we have gifted people here who will help you take some next steps. Most people want to improve but don't know how. 
you know, Steve, you, I commend you because I tell you, even as a communicator, you're very intelligent. You have that ability to take God's wisdom and bring it into the intellect of our day. You do that far better than me. And so I want to people to be able to step into that role that God has for them, yeah. uh, that place where they're going to be even more fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And I think that winning at home, one of our goals, especially as I age, is just help people find their sweet spot. And if that means you come in for counseling, we want to help you get into a better place as a coach. Some of our coaches can help you have better direction. Uh, most people want to do better, but they don't know those next how-to steps. And I hope we're an organization that give people some next how-tos. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, man. Dan, thanks for your leadership. Bless you. Thanks for your encouragement. It means a ton. Thanks. You're very kind. And may the Lord use these words to lift people's spirits. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.